Hey, I'm Ramel London. I'm a TV radio presenter and host, and I want to welcome you to the Mainstream Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to a broadcaster who has practically raised me. He woke us up on Sunday mornings with CBBC's Smile, kept us laughing and gave me pizza cravings after school on CBBC's The Crust. But of course, for some of the younger listeners, I'm, I'm showing my age, of the mainstream, you'll know he has been a voice that has literally powered the nation for the last 20 years on BBC Radio 1 Extra, BBC Radio 1, and now driving us home weekdays from 4pm on Heart FM. I'm so excited to speak to the legend that is Dev Griffin. Hey, what an intro. My goodness. <laughs> this is going to be so disappointing after all of that. That was, no. that was building out way too much. We no. should have just got Devs here, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, to, I like to point out the accolades. And yeah, it's always a pleasure just having people that are are just, you know, experienced, know what they're talking about. I love and that. Yeah. I love that. When you said um, you felt like I'd practically raised you, I get, I, I do get that quite a lot. It's, I, I used to not like it because it made me feel a little bit older, but I feel like I've transitioned into, I don't want to say dad, because maybe that makes Big bro. Silly. Big bro or uncle. Uncle Alex. Nah, you're my bro. We're, you know? we're quite, we're not that far in age, so you're my big bro. Like, like I like when sort of like people like, like mid like early 20s whatever they'll still come up to me and say oh I used to watch you on TV when I was a child yeah. and I'll be like okay how old were you when you were a child and they say like I don't know 8 or 9 years old and then I do the maths but it's because for me I started kids telly when I was really young I wasn't yes. I was like 16, 17 when I started kids telly so I, I guess there isn't that much yeah. time between me and the kids that I were I was uh, 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 did the show for but it's still it's still a little, a little bit weird when grown adults <laughs> tell me they watch me as Children, like, we grown together. <laughs> but thank you so much. And I always say, Dev, welcome to the mainstream. Hey. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you've just said so much about, about your, your journey and experience so far. And um, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that being a broadcaster can come in many shapes and forms nowadays. Like, you know, you've got people that have come up through YouTube, people that have been reality stars. Um, but what I love about you, yours is more of the traditional route because you as a proper drama club oh, yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah. Drama club. Proper. The famous Anna Shit. I begged to get into there. They, they <laughs> won't have me. They won't have me. Um, so tell us, tell us about that. What was that your idea? Was that your no. mum? Oh my goodness, no. It was not my idea to go to a drama club. I um, you know, I grew up on a, a, a council estate. I was a little rough and tumble kid that had a lot of energy, say. I'm I'm like the youngest of um uh, I'm, I'm the youngest of five. And so I was always a bit of an attention seeker. I was always Fair. trying to, you know, get up and do a dance or something like that. Uh, my older sister was really into musicals. So she would stick them on during the summer holidays. We'd learn a little dance routine. So I had a like, really early love for performing. And it was my mum's idea to take me to this, um, I say I say drama club, acting school, whatever you want to call it, called Anna Shear, which, like you said, it is, it is famous. Yeah. Or, or certainly infamous. Yeah. Um, a, a place in London where it's not like your traditional theatre schools where you would go there full time. You still go to regular school. Yeah. You just go there after school uh, for a few hours. And I mean, my, I remember the first time my mum took me there. It was probably about eight or nine years old. I'm not even joking. I was kicking and screaming, what? begging, please don't. Because you have to go after school on a Friday and then on a Saturday afternoon. Imagine just saying that. I really to wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you obviously, you're obviously a lot cleverer than I was <laughs> at that age. But to me, it was, you know, you were taking me away from my friends and you were taking me away from, 
you know, time playing or whatever, climbing trees. And I, I didn't want to go. Wow. But I guess it's, the other thing is you never want to try new things when you're a kid, do you? You yeah. want to stay right inside your comfort zone. You don't want to do anything that you don't know about. But really quickly, I'm, I'm talking within the first couple of weeks, I fell in love with it because you're around so many interesting people, so many people that um, you wouldn't normally hang around with. You know, I was hanging out with, became friends with like middle-class kids and, you know, like kids from all different walks of life, different races. And you also, everyone's equal in this. For example, if you're, if you're doing a bit of improvisation or something like that, yeah. you're all given the same tools and you can sort of bring something a little bit different to somebody else and you, you feed off each other. And the standard in, in those groups was ridiculously high. You know, every, everyone was like sort of pushing each other to be really good and you would learn stuff about the world. And I, I, I remember going into specifically like year seven and year eight, feeling like I almost had a bit of an edge over everybody else in my class. Like I knew things about the world and I was was able to express myself in ways that that, that other... other be it, it really matured you quite early on. Yeah. Um, and then the great thing about it was... Once I got to a certain age, I started getting work from 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 going to Anashir, like little bits of TV, little bits of theatre, and that really matures you because I remember being like 11 years old, landing my first big theatre gig. I was the only kid in the cast. It was for the Royal Shakespeare Company. These were all the really thespy adult actors that I was working <laughs> yeah. around. And you want to be like them, don't you? Yeah. You'd only looked at like a little kid. So that was such a huge door opening for me going to Anashir all of these opportunities all of these uh, things that I hadn't even considered before and I'd started to take the first steps into my career at like yeah like 10 years old it's bonkers when you that's think about it that's amazing yeah. that's so so good and so from there did you know that you wanted to be on the screen and all that kind of stuff like did you start planning your your life from 10 I guess <laughs> yeah I'd, uh, so there was two things going parallel one was I was obsessed with music obsessed yeah. like I would raid my mum's record collection and play the record so much that they would uh, I'll just say they got damaged I damaged <laughs> my mum's my mom's record collection I'm sorry deeply, deeply sorry about that I've since tried to replace some of the records that I've destroyed but they're, they're quite hard to find they're very expensive on discogs um but uh so obsessed with, and I, I still have that I still have that now um, where I hear a song, I mean, thank goodness for Shazam, I hear a song, and it's not enough to just go, oh, this is a cool song. Yeah. I to, I'm like, I need this. I need to find this immediately. I need to know the name of it. Um, so there was that going, and this love for music, and then also this love for performing as well. To, yeah. it's, it, it's odd, right? Because I think I'm actually quite an introverted person. I don't want to walk into a room and have people turn around and look at me. Okay, fair. I was about to say, what? But, <laughs> but if there's a... But I don't... I don't. I also don't mind it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like... It, I do my radio show and then I just want to go home afterwards. Yeah. I don't want to go and hang out at some party or I feel like there's a, a concentrated part of my day where I get to show off and then yep. I just walk off into the, the <laughs> sunset. Do you know what I mean? That's that's how I like... <laughs> that makes sense. That's how I like my life. So I guess what Anashir was showing me is that there was opportunities to... I wasn't thinking about in terms of career, just in, in terms of what I enjoyed doing. But uh, radio, my interest in it, came... I guess when I was in, in secondary school, garage was the, the biggest musical genre um, um, among my peers. It was just garage. I'm not talking, oh, we used to listen to a little bit of this. No, it was just garage music. And it was so exciting to me and my friends because it felt like... So my, my older brother who, who who loved music, his his thing was jungle, Oof. maybe like a little bit of... Um, 
like house or whatever it sort of was at the time, a bit of techno. But I felt like that was his. Yeah. I feel like every generation, you really crave your own scene, don't you? Your own type Definitely. of music. And to me, it was it, 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 it was Garage. And um, that obsession with songs, again, it wasn't just enough to hear a Garage song and go, oh, this is quite interesting. I was like, I need to have this. I need to find it. And that sparked this obsession with uh, record shopping. Oh. So, so around about 13 years old, I remember my mum saying to me, look, I'm a bit tired of you destroying all of my records. Why don't you get a little job, a little paper round or something like that, go and buy your own records, and then it sort of doesn't matter how, <laughs> how much you... You can mash them up. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and that is exactly what I did. I got a paper round, and I spent all the money I had on, uh, on records. So at the exact same time, I'm getting the odd audition and the odd job through Anna Shear. I'm also doing my paper round and buying records. And um, uh, Anna Shear... I also met my childhood friend, uh, Reggie Yates. Nice. That's, that's where we met together. This is years before Smile, obviously, the crust, and before we ended up working together. That, yeah. that is where we met. And before, I don't know if like loads of people know this, before we'd done kids' TV together, I was Reggie's DJ. What? And he was an MC with another friend of mine, Jermaine. And what? we would, yeah, we would DJ as a collective called, our first name was Ghetto Fabulous Crew. Come you know, on! <laughs> Oh, G GFC for sure. <laughs> I love it. And um, yeah, we did, we did pirate radio, uh, pirate radio together out of Frinsley Park. Yes. It's only round, it's only round the corner from um, where my, my my studio spot is now. So we did pirate radio together for years and years before kids TV, uh, and that is what I thought I wanted to do. More than acting and more than anything else, performing, I wanted to be a DJ. That was the thing I fell in love with. Was like, right, what can I do to just be a DJ for the rest of my life. Yeah. That was like the first big obsession. That's sick, man. Oh, big up. What was it? Get a fabulous <laughs> GFC. Get a fabulous crew, yeah. <laughs> you lot are sick for that. I love that. Yeah, do you know what? It, it makes sense because your passion for music just comes through regardless. So it's clear there was a lot more to it than just, you know, pressing buttons on radio. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. I absolutely love. Um, but in all honesty, the first time I saw you was as DJ Devstar... On CBBC's Smile. Yeah. Uh, where, what was the, the, the Devstar thing going on at that time? So that was my DJ name. Okay. Devstar is just like a nickname that I got given when I was a kid by my cousin. You know, like sometimes you play computer games, you put a little name in beforehand. Yeah. yeah mine, for some reason, was just Devstar. Well, not for some reason, my name's Dev. Uh, was <laughs> Devstar. And that was my DJ name, DJ Devstar. And I, I, I remember getting a call from Reggie about the audition for mm. Smile. And he was really doing stuff with Disney Club right. and um, Fern Cotton and stuff. They worked together in a production company that did a lot of their Disney stuff. They were they wanted to make a new Sunday morning show. Nice. The production company was called uh, Daryl McQueen. Uh, shout out to Daryl McQueen. And um, Reg called me up and said, oh, look, I'm going to this audition for this show. They're looking for a DJ. I said, you're <gasps> my DJ. So no just come down and we'll just see what happens. And initially, right, this is so weird. I haven't thought about this for a while. Initially, they didn't want me to talk. I was going to be like a silent DJ. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just did a screen test, which is, you know, they set a camera up in a studio and you just do something on camera that they're going to use that footage yeah. to show some some execs and go, do you want to make this into a show? So me and Reg just messed about in front of this camera for like two hours. We did our stupid dance moves that we do at raves or whatever <laughs> and you know, basically just did this, the stuff that we would have done on Pirate Radio at the same time anyway. Yeah. And... Like, I remember we went on holiday to Ayanapa, and when we came back, 
we found out that we got a TV show. I think that I, I think that that's the order that it went in. Yeah, bonkers. So I went from I left school, didn't know what I was gonna do, wasn't really sure like you know where I was heading. Just really loved DJing, was on pirate radio. That was my whole world at the time. And then by the end of that year, it was like, oh, I got a show on CBBC. That's nuts. Yeah. I was gonna ask actually. That's so huge. And like you know, what was it like? Experiencing, you know, this was before social media and all that kind of mm. stuff. So, and there were there were only a few channels, yeah. so you were definitely being seen by everybody. So, you know, what was it like being like thrown into the TV world and TV fame? I didn't like it, if I'm honest. Wow, I, I didn't. I didn't really like it that much. There was this like really cool period where Smile was on the CBBC channel. So, CBC channel had only just launched, right? And it maybe got. Maybe about 250,000 people would watch us on a Sunday. Okay. After, I think, three or four months, Smile moved to BBC Two. Yeah. So overnight, you go from 250,000 people watching you to 12 and a half million, I think Oof. it was. Some bonkers like that. That's crazy. So it was on, it was on BBC Two. And um, I'd never experienced things like people recognise you out in public yeah. or people coming up to you, asking you for pictures, that kind of thing. And I think... Outside of my work, I feel I'm quite an intensely private person. Yeah. Because I feel like I give so much of my stuff myself already. Yeah, like if you listen fair. to my radio show, I talk about my life all the time. <laughs> I, feel like I do wear my heart on my sleeve, but my manager, for example, she's always going on and me like, oh, you should put more stuff on social media. You need to post more pictures. And I'm like, I put my life out there all the time. <laughs> put so much. They can my... listen to it. Yeah, do you know, I put so much. <laughs> so I, I really struggled with that to begin with, and I, I wish somebody had sat me down, because I was 17 at the time, you know? Oh my gosh, that's young, you're a baby. And I was wild, yeah? yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, I was a wild 17. <laughs> I was wilding at 17, I was mad. Like I, you know, I had no boundaries. Um, I was just, you know, enjoying being 17. Of and course. I, I think because I had to be the, I mean, we were literally called the young professionals when I was at Anashir. So from yeah. 11, all, all, the way, all the way through my teenage years, I had to be a professional. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to do anything mad or... But it's almost like once I started doing kids' TV, I wanted to do the opposite of what was expected from me. I oh, rebelled, no. like, hard. Oh, no. In fact, I believe I even signed a clean living clause. I'm not sure if they still, still do What's that What's that? So a clean living clause is you agreeing that you're not going to get photographed falling out at nightclubs, you're oh. not going to get caught doing anything dodgy, that sort of thing. Oh, my gosh. Obviously, I just signed it because I'm, I'm 17. <laughs> sure, I'll be clean. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> I, when I, honestly, when I, when I think about it now, I'm so glad there weren't camera phones as readily yeah. available then. Because, I mean, you know, I, I, like, just one memory off the top of my head... I definitely walked around the nightclub six months after Smile was on air in an Averix jacket, drinking champagne straight from the bottle. Oh. Like, I did that. Like, I did that. I mean... I, I thought I was that guy. Yeah. Usually, guys reflect like that anyway, but not when you're on children's TV. Oh, my goodness. I don't know who I thought I was. <laughs> I love that guy, though. I love him. Yeah. Um, but it was... Like, I don't, it, it bothered me because, like, the attention and stuff, it bothered me because it made me... If I was out with friends and stuff, it's just... Immediately, immediately made me feel alienated from my friendship group. Okay. So I'm like one time in particular that really sticks out in my head because there's different reactions people give in it. When you see someone off telly or whatever, someone you recognise, there's different reactions. Yeah. There's a little subtle one, you know, you nudge your friend, you'd be like, look over there. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's another weird one that people do where they want you to know that they've noticed you. Ooh, that's weird. You know, so they'll say it like really like, like that's that guy on TV, isn't it? Like, 
come on. Like, oh, leave me alone. Like, hold it down, innit? Yeah. So I remember, I remember going to a party once and I was walking past the queue and this girl, she did a little double take and she said so loud, she went, oh my God, it's you. It's you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you point in and everyone's oh, no. turning round and looking and like that. That affected me for a really long time. In really? fact, when I think about my look from about 17 to 21, yeah. it was new era cap down low, like, like almost down below, like my nose brim, you know? Oh my, and my hood would be up and I'd look down at the ground when I walked, walked down the street. I hated, I hated being recognised. Oh my God. I really did. I just wanted to go out and just be a normal person. I didn't want people to come up to me and like... Oh yeah, you're that guy from Berlin. I, I, I hated all of that. Yeah, now I can imagine. Yeah, but um, yeah, I struggled with it to begin with, which is another reason why I think once I started doing radio, I was like, this is it. This, okay. This is it. This is a big question because it, when I realised that you decided, actually, nah, I don't want to do TV no more. I just want to do radio. It took me... I'm still trying to think, I can't imagine saying that to myself. Because yeah. I'm very much, I love doing both. So what 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 was it that kind of pushed you to that? I think, you know, telly's fun. It's a lot of fun to do. I love presenting, again, like the performance aspect of it. I'm a little bit of, um, you know, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so... Uh, <laughs> When I'm presenting, you know, I like, you know, when I'm watching TV, for example, I'll be like, oh, he's got good presenter hands, like that one, or oh, <laughs> I do stuff like that. She did a really good walk, yeah, talk, stop, then walk off. Yep. Uh, I, I like that, that she was yeah. holding the mic with her left and not her right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I do, I do really enjoy doing stuff like that. But I, I, I don't know. There's something about something about radio. It seems really intimate. Um, it's and it's alive as well and yeah. in the moment. TV's fake, you know. Hey, TV is hey. like you get. 17 different tries at one thing and what you're what you're watching might have been filmed months ago yeah. whereas i like that most of the radio that i do 99 percent of it is if it messes up oh well it yeah. messed up you're live you're in the moment it's a it's a real thing but the other thing is that i quite like is i could be i could be doing my radio show with unbrushed hair in my pajamas you wouldn't know any different like it doesn't it doesn't matter. I do like that there's not a visual aspect yeah, to, to radio. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I'm not I'm not against doing telly. Like I'd... Oh, clearly not. I mean, you're booked and busy, bro. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not turning down telly gigs. Like, there you no, go. I would not be on. <laughs> I would love to get into uh, acting again. I had an opportunity <gasps> to do it a few years ago, and I thought... Um, it was it was funny enough for the CBBC channel as well. Okay. I don't want to be too specific because I don't want them to think that I'm saying that the show wasn't good. I just don't think... Right, so... I hadn't acted in a really long time. Okay. I got my script. It was only one scene. And I was playing myself as well, weirdly. Yeah. And uh, so I remember on the day I was filming, I was doing my scene. And in my head, I was like, I've still got it. These <laughs> chops that. are still here. <laughs> All right. And I also had to play Paul at the same time. I had to play Paul at the same time as delivering my lines. And in my head at the day, I was thinking, this is some Scorsese business. Oh, you know? nah, not Scorsese. Killing, killing this, man. <laughs> Still got it. It's just You're like, right enough. And I watched it afterwards and I was so bad. What? I was so bad. You do lose it. Straight. Oh. I think I was a good child actor, not a good adult actor. No way. Which is like, how many, how many child stars can you think of? That are still just as good and successful as adults, right? That's the Olsen twins, right? Oh, don't. Oh. They were amazing when they were kids. Incredible, <laughs> loved them. We're not trying Fun to see house. them now. Like, no, we're not trying to see the Olsen <laughs> twins. <laughs> 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 
Def. I can't even think of what. What's, what's the little kid's name from Six Sense? Oh, that guy. That guy. Yeah. I, yeah. No one even knows his name. He's the guy from Six Sense. Exactly. Incredible in yeah. Six Sense. Role of a lifetime as an adult. Yeah. No one even knows. I, re- I don't even think he acts anymore. He probably what what sells insurance or something now. I bet you. And that is that is quite common. That is quite common. We don't we never see them again. That's fair. I totally get that. And um, to be honest, you smashed it as a child actor. And like you know, I didn't even realize actually that not only did you star in The Crust, you also created and wrote it. Yeah. Bruv, what was you? What kind of guy was you? Yeah, in they your... gave they gave us a writing credit for that. That's bonkers. That's amazing. How yeah. did that even come about? So Reg had the idea to do a show with a pizza shop on top of a council estate. <laughs> and the two guys were like trying to get into music. Uh, but Darren McQueen, the same production company who oh, made um, Smile, they just gave us so much creativity on it. So I'd never been involved in something like that before. The director and all the writers were, they were amazing. So we'd like just show up to work one day and I'd go, oh, in this scene, can you make it look like that bit in Indiana Jones where he has to put his hand through the bit with all the creepy crawlies and stuff. And they loved all of that. Oh, my you know? gosh. Um, and I also learned loads of things like, uh, I don't remember the, 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 the right name for it now, but I said, oh, there's a, a, one of the characters is my girlfriend and she's quite intense. Every time that she appears on screen, can we do that thing where the background seems to rush away from the actor? Okay. And the way that I'd learned that you achieve that is you zoom out whilst you're... Whilst you're moving the camera in, or maybe it's the reverse way or whatever. I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it, but... <laughs> it was a while ago. All of these things that had seemed like cinematic black magic at yeah. the time, I'd got a close-up look at um, how, all of the, how all of this was done, and, you know, we got, we got credited for it as well. That's so good. There's so many character suggestions we had and, you know, little lines and sayings that people could have and... Uh, what, 19, 20 years old to have a, a, a writing credit on a show oh my that gosh. was at a, a major network like that was incredible. That's huge. I mean, we talk about like getting commissioned and all that kind of stuff a lot on the mainstream because loads of people want, you know, a lot of people feel like they've got good ideas and it should be on TV, but I feel like the opportunities aren't always there like that now. So um, do you do you still pitch? Do you still get in, in writing rooms and all that kind of stuff? I really want to write something. I just can't. I just can't figure out what. Like okay. my attention span is so bad. <laughs> and also I think I'm my own worst critic as well. I think it works quite well when you're a presenter to be overly critical of you know your intonation was it quite right on this oh bit? My gosh, yeah. And, you know something that you obviously know about but you know people listening when you work in radio something that we do quite often are snoop sessions or listen back. So we sit in a room with our boss and you have to listen to your own radio show, but just the bits where you talk. And it is excruciating. Yep. You pick it apart and you're supposed to be overly analytical and critical of, of, of everything. You pick out the good bits, but you also try and pick out the bad bits. And it is really useful because it gives you a ton of things to keep working on. You know, this is... None of us are going to be like, I'm the perfect presenter. I've got nothing to work on. So it serves you quite well in that aspect. But I think when you're trying to come up with some sort of creative concept there's not that much space for this is rubbish what are you even playing at? Yeah. oh my god who's even gonna watch this um so, but it is something that i'd i'd, I'd definitely want to get uh want to do in the future and i have sat down and started to write things i've just never followed it through and then finished it Fair. I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to work out as i'm saying it why that is um yeah i don't know it's, it's definitely something i'm interested in i want to do i just need to 
get out of my own way, I think. That's fair. That's fair. I think a lot of us have that that moment where, you know, yours doesn't sound so much like imposter syndrome, but it does sound like you're overthinking the the processes and you're yeah. just like, actually, no, I'll come back to it later. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, the, the, the things that I'm, like, really big fan of, so um, a lot of, like, dark and irreverent comedy, sometimes if I'm sitting down to write that stuff, I think, am I clever enough <laughs> to do this or do I just enjoy watching this type Fair. of comedy? It's like, you know, I, I love loads of different types of music. Doesn't necessarily mean I want to learn how to make it or make yep. that. I can just appreciate it. Exactly. But I guess yeah, maybe with writing, I haven't quite, I haven't quite figured that out yet. What would I want to? What do I just enjoy? What do I want to put out there in the world? Yeah, that's interesting. I love that. But I love that you're open to it, yeah. and that's one thing I've definitely loved about your career. Like you're open to so much. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later. But I really loved. Just the chemistry you had with you and Fern, you and Reggie. And um, it was inevitable back when One Extra launched that you guys were getting a show. That was a given. And it did feel like for a while that you guys were going to be like potentially the new like Anton Deck. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> but then you eventually went solo. Um, so like what was what was the decision process in, you know, going from a duo to solo? It was really, um, it was really tough working with each other all the time. Like, you know, Reg is my bro. But there were there were there were sometimes we were working together like seven days a week. Oof, that is a that's a lot. It was really intense. And in particular, I really struggled when we were filming the crust. Uh that that was seven day weeks. So five days, Monday to Friday we were I was uh, in the studio and you know sometimes my call time was nine o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock at night. I had like a bit of a, a moment midway through filming whereas I didn't feel like I was having much of a life outside of it. Yeah. I was also doing my radio show at the weekends, and it, it put a really big strain on our friendship. Uh, but I guess at the same time, you know, Reg was getting interested in, in doing a lot of things outside of radio, and I always just, well, certainly at the time, I just wanted to be on the radio. So whatever yeah. I can do to just keep doing this, then that's what I want. So I don't think it was like a conscious decision. We never sat down and have a con had a conversation about it. Like, okay, cool, you go and do your thing and I'll go and do mine. But in hindsight, it's definitely, it's definitely the right move. Yeah. Um, but as, as soon as that happened, it did feel a bit weird to be on my own. Before that, it had just been Reg and Dev. And then all yeah. of a sudden, I'm just Dev. Like, yeah, <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? And as scary as it was, it was also really exciting for me because I... Thing up to that point, I'd relied on having other people around me to take the to take the strain. Right. The attention's not all on you. Then if something goes wrong, then it can't be all your fault. <laughs> then, Blame the producer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I quite liked that. All oh, right, okay, it's me now. Now I have to sort of figure out what I'm doing, mm. and I've not got somebody else necessarily to bounce off of. And it was, you know, it was like a really. It feels like a really, really positive thing for me when I think about it now. Doing those, going from being a duo to being thrown into the deep end to being on my own, it was, yeah, it was great. It was like a very, very sink or swim for me at that time. That's really good to hear because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that may be considering being a duo or may actually be split, not splitting up, but it's not break up, but like, you know, going it alone, you can actually find yourself a little bit more yeah. when you're by yourself. Oh, it's like one of the... It's one of the saddest things I think the industry can do is put strain on friendships. Um, like, I don't want to mention their name, but 
I want to give you like an example of a story that how the industry does that. So there's a, a friend of mine who went for the same job as me. Okay. And when I found out that they'd got the job, my first react. This is a good friend of mine as yeah. well. My first reaction, and I'm embarrassed to say this, my first reaction wasn't, oh, good for them. Mm -hmm. My first reaction was, oh, because they've got it, because they're another, you know, they're, they're a, a, another uh, black presenter, so because they've got it, does that mean that there's not enough room for me now in this same thing because they're occupying that space? Yep. And I felt so embarrassed and bad about it. I had to call them up and, and say, look, <laughs> this is really weird, but i just seen that you got this job and I wanted to first say congratulations, but also I had this really weird reaction mm -hmm. and I kind of felt compelled to tell you about it. And it was great. We were able to talk about it and... Uh, that's such, you know, obviously indicative of a, a much more insidious problem in our industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it is, a, it is a really sad thing to see people who... I, I think the underlying message is that there isn't enough work. If you're a black presenter or a black creator, that there isn't enough work and there isn't enough space for all of us. So I, I like that it's shifted now. It's gone from... If one of us makes it, then there's not enough space for the rest of us. Now it feels like if one of us makes it, they're gonna make enough room for yes. for everybody else. That's how it feels like it's um like it shifted. But you know, I've spent so much time thinking about this that mm. actually as a as a like, yeah, as, as, as as a young black man, I think I was ill prepared for the industry. I feel like a lot of the hang-ups you're given, I'm talking outside of it, just growing up, do you scan into this job. So, for example, I feel like if you're black from an inner city, yep. you're conditioned when you grow up to not get on with other black boys from different areas. Yeah. You're actually given a whole list of reasons not to like. They might be from, oh, they're from a different estate. Yeah. Oh, they're from a different postcode. Oh, they're from a different... They're from North London, you're from South London. Yeah. Oh, they're from a different city. And you, you question it a bit when you're an adult. You're like, oh, yeah, that's all nonsense. But it's still sort of in there. Yeah. Like, I it's noticed really this, you know, you know when you go on holiday, right? I've noticed this on holiday. Groups of white guys can be friends with each other. They can, so say, for, you know, you go on holiday to wherever, I don't know, IB for or something. Yeah. So a group of white guys from Liverpool can meet a group of white guys from Manchester and they can be friends. 100%. For some reason, there's a group of black guys, we could be from the same city. Yep. If we don't really know each other, it's harder. I can't tell you why. Yeah. And it's not like we're against you know, trying to have a friendship. But it's it's weird like that. We're, again, we're, I feel like we're conditioned to have all these reasons not to go over and say hello or introduce yourself. And like I found that in, in this industry, it's, it's, it's definitely switched now. But certainly when I was starting out, unless you're coming in with your boys and your friends, it's unlikely that you're going to form some sort, sort of like partnership yeah. or an ally with another fellow black presenter. It's different now. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, we're talking, what, 20 years ago when yeah. I first started, it was, oh, my God, when I say 20 years ago like that. It's, <laughs> it's all right. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's radio years. Yeah. <laughs> Dev, you have said something so poignant that a lot of young black creatives can identify with because... You want to celebrate everyone, but sometimes you're like, oh, but it could have been me. That's that's yeah. me out then. And it's and it's so sad that that's our first thought. But like you said, things are changing. It's really, really good to see that things are changing. And I really respect you for just owning that and understanding that you had to work through that. Oh, yeah. And that was, that was, you know, that was my own hang-ups yeah. as well. Yeah. That's me 
there's a little bit of jealousy creeping in. Oh, yeah. In. I'm and, a hater sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> but I also think that is what this job does to you. Yeah. It does make you measure yourself up against other people. When, because there's no... Who can say, like, who's the best presenter? There's no way of measuring it. Yeah, it's what, true. Is, is it the person who gets the most work? Is it the person who's got the most followers on Instagram? There's no way of measuring it. Yeah. So um, I think you do sometimes struggle to... Like, how do you measure success in this job? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Unless you're happy with what you're doing, I feel like that's the best way to approach it. Are you happy? Do you yeah. feel fulfilled with what you're doing? So if you are pitting yourself up against other people, especially like us, like, I'm I'm not just going, oh, uh, what other, like, black presenters am I? I'm like, I'm, like, looking at, like, Rylan and, like, flipping people <laughs> like that. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, you don't like, Maya Jama, like, yeah. you know, like, big, big, big names and yep. stuff that, yeah... Yeah, definitely. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, okay, let's let's talk about broadcasting friends and all that kind of stuff because obviously you are a broadcasting legend and um, you've had loads of experience, so I'm sure loads of people come to you. But what about the flip side? When you've got hard decisions, when you've got to figure stuff out, do you have any kind of broadcasting agony aunts or uncles or agony cousins? <laughs> so I got, um, I got like old... I say old, sorry. Producers that I used to have, like, have produced radio shows that are always, like, really good to pick their brains. I've not spoken to him for a long time, but I had some really interesting chats with Trevor Nelson, certainly when I was starting out, and he had some really good uh, words of advice, none of which I can remember. <laughs> none of which I can re remember right now. But I do remember how much, uh, how much it meant to me to have certain people go out of their way to put a bit of an arm around me, yeah. maybe give me a few words of advice. Uh, now, how I remember at my first Radio 1 party, my Radio One first Radio 1 Christmas party, I was stood in a corner just looking at all these DJs and Aww. presenters that I've been fans of for years. It was really intimidating. Yeah. I didn't want to go up and just introduce myself. And Nahau had seen this and came up to me and he made a point of walking me around the room and introducing me to everybody. And in the years following, I became that person. Oh, I would then funny. look at Christmas parties. I'd look for the person stood at the edge who's a bit like, yeah. not really sure. And I really liked that I could... Um, so, yeah, actually, those people, they, they show me how to move in those rooms. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily a confidence thing. I feel like I have plenty of confidence. Of course, yeah. You don't really know how to apply that the first time when you, you walk into that kind of space. Uh, so I think more so maybe than direct words of advice, actually just being in close proximity to a lot of these DJs and presenters that I've looked up to for years yeah. and seeing how they move and how they conduct themselves, that's been really, really beneficial for me. That's amazing. I love that. I love that you, you, you're not afraid to now be that person that yeah. can support others. That's that's really yeah, nice. I, I know how much it means. I know how much those gestures of if someone's new, you know, oh, if you you know want someone to chat to you or you need someone to introduce you to. I mean, since I've since I've been, I've been at Global now for like just over a year, and Margarita Taylor oh, here, yes. who's such such broadcasting royalty, yep. who's gone out of her way to you know come and have a coffee with me and talk to me about you know how commercial radio is different yep. to what I've been used to before and to just feel like I have an ally like that and a, a, a friend, somebody who's so 
experienced and well-established, it's, it's priceless, isn't it? Literally, she's done the same to me. She's yeah. such a queen. I absolutely love her and that she always, always does that for people. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay, so I mentioned before, like, you're you're not afraid to dip your toes and fingers in all kinds of pies. So, obviously, acting, hosting, DJing, red carpets, interviews, the full works. Um, and a music producer. Come on, get in. <laughs> love that. Um, I love that you're not afraid to do it all, but... I know a lot of the times now when, for me personally, and I'm sure a lot of other presenters, when we go into rooms with commissioners and production companies, they're like, what's your thing? What's your niche? What what, what is that? Like, it's so frustrating because sometimes you just want to be a general all-round presenter and broadcaster. So do you have a thing? Have you you had to figure out what your thing is? And do you think it's important to get work? Yeah, I, I never really known what my thing was. But there was... A bit of a moment, maybe after the first couple of years I was on one extra, something I realised would set me apart from everybody else is, um, I'm not saying this as a diss, okay? I'm just saying how I felt. I felt like everyone was trying to be quite cool. Ooh, I get that. And I've never been cool. I I, I just haven't. I think you're cool. Well, I feel like... it's It's like that Marge Simpson quote. I'm cool because I'm not... I don't know I'm cool. Does that make me cool? Because I don't know. Fair. Like, I, I've i just gone through it, you know? Yeah. I've, I've, I've always been the weird one in my friendship group. I've always been, like, a little bit odd, not quite fitting, and I got so tired of trying to be like everybody else yeah. that, that that day I had that realisation of, if I just say how I honestly feel about something, that does set me apart from everybody else. And yeah. something I've heard a lot that is a really big win for me is uh, if I go for a job, if I'm sitting down talking to commissions, that kind of thing, they'll say things like, oh, well, the reason we wanted to book you, Dev, is we wanted to get your unique take on this. Oh, I like that. We like that you usually think a little bit different about whatever it is. I think there's a few factors uh, down to how that is, but I, I reckon one of the big things is doing years of early breakfast radio. <laughs> I did early breakfast about four and a half years. Yeah. I still have, like, cognitive capacity that I'm definitely not getting back from just oh my years, gosh. if not. And I was at university at the same time I was doing that. I started when I was about 24. And, yeah, I, how can I put this? I, was, I wasn't very professional when I was doing them years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was going out all night. I was coming, coming home, and like, first thing in the morning and then just going straight to work. And you'd have to... I'd show up with nothing to talk about which you know as a radio personality is one of the worst feelings in the world. When you're yeah. about to open up a mic and you have nothing to talk about, yep. horrible. Yeah, You're just going to waffle. But, of course. But because I did it all the time, I just started to get the ability to just talk <laughs> about anything. Like, you're a professional waffler. <laughs> yeah, precisely. So all the, all the good stories would have been used up the day before. Yep. There's nothing going on in the news because it's four o'clock in the morning, so you would just have to make something out of, out of nothing. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess a combination of trying to be honest, not just trying to make people laugh or trying to say the funniest thing, trying to truly find a bit of, bit of honesty, trying to give a little bit of yourself as well, um, Again, without like being specific, there's a few presenters who I feel like are lacking reaching their full potential because they want to keep their audience at arm's length. Yeah. I don't think you can really do that successfully in this job. I think the unfortunate trade-off is you have to give so much of yourself to your audience and just hope that they like 
<laughs> it's true, you know. We're always just, shooting our shot. Just hope that they don't <laughs> use it against you. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then that can also become one of your most powerful assets. True. So someone I think does this so well is um, Snoochie. Right? Oh, yeah. So I remember seeing Snoochie on, uh, I think it was on like Jamie Lang's podcast or something like that a while right. ago. And she made a joke about not knowing who her dad was. Right. That her dad had like left or something when she was like two years old. Almost like laughing like, oh, well, you know, if, if you know. Like, now that is such a standard thing for, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know my dad when I was growing up. Loads of my friends didn't. That is such a, like a standard. Yeah. Almost, it's, it's horrible, actually, when you yeah, think about how normalised that is. But for Jamie, it sort of blew his mind a bit. Like, wow. oh, she's not joking. She genuinely doesn't know. But you couldn't get Snoochie for that. You couldn't say to her, like, oh, you, you didn't know. It's like, yeah, she said that. Yeah. She owned it completely. Yeah. And in that moment, I feel like you just make yourself a normal person. I found it like so endearing. I feel yeah. like I've like, known so much about that person in that moment. And I think I'm like constantly trying to do little things like that, trying to give people little snapshots into my life. But again, the horrible <laughs> trade-off is you have to bear your soul to people that you don't even know and just hope that they don't get really nasty and, <laughs> and try and use it against you. You're doing all right so yeah. far, bro. You're doing all right. <laughs> but you know, I've, I've, I've heard that in therapy a number of times as well, that, you know, the only... People only have... The only power that people have over you is the power that you give to them. Mm -hmm. so like sometimes by by being that honest person, by bearing your soul, you are taking all the power from somebody else if they if they did want to use it in a bad way, yeah. I think. <laughs> I think that's how it works. No, I love that. That's really, again, another insightful look at how you just enjoy being you. Like, that's beautiful. Um, you mentioned earlier social media. It's, it's now become like currency in how well you're doing, apparently, and all that kind of stuff. I know a lot of, a lot of creatives get so stressed out about views, about numbers, about all that kind of stuff. I mean, you've, you've been in the game before social media. You're doing all right on your gram and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, do you think someone that is trying to get into the industry should worry about all of that kind of stuff? Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, if you're trying to get into the industry, social media is a massive, it's a massive part of it. Personally, I despise social media. I really do. It's an incredibly helpful tool. You know, it helps you build an audience and you can sort of exist outside of the places that people would normally find you. But I don't, I don't know. I don't like that it's, I don't like to be so easily accessible. Mm. I don't like that, um... The temptation, again, to compare yourself to other people and you're just constantly bombarded with stuff, things. Um, so, yeah, I guess if you if you are getting into the industry, if it's something that you're interested in pursuing, it is something that you have to be good at. Yeah. Also, you need to limit, you need to limit the time that you're on it and what you're using it for. That's a good point. So there's two things I'm really trying to do at the moment, which is the four hours before bed, I'm trying to not be on social media. Right. And I'm not trying to hit that explore button either. <laughs> not the, not yeah. trying to hit the explore button. Explore's dangerous, can't even lie. They have just worked out the perfect algorithm for things that are going to keep... It'll be like, oh, do you want to see this new beard oil, Dev? It's organic. Or, <laughs> oh, have you checked out this new synth? Or it's, Do you actually buy things from Instagram? I've bought several uh, things. Uh, see, too, I know that even, even saying that, I feel like... They did it. They won. There's a bot listening on my phone right now that's like already lined up seven ads to me as soon oh as I God. leave the room. I have. I, I'm I'm probably 
so I, I'm probably one of the most susceptible susceptible people to any kind of advertising. Like if I walk past like a KFC poster or something, I'm like, well, that's what I'm having for lunch. Same. Then, yeah, I'm the worst. Yeah. So susceptible to it. Yeah, I've, I have no strength. <laughs> I crumble immediately. Oh, I respect it though. Sometimes you just have to give in. You yeah. have to give in. But I, I do. I resent how present I have to be on social media. How much you have to post and. I want to get to the point where I could just give it all to my management and then go, there yeah. you go, you lot, you lot handle it. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to be another thing that I have to worry about and think about. And you find yourself doing that sometimes. Mm. You post a picture and the next day you wake up and you go, this hasn't got as many likes as my other one. Like, who cares? <laughs> you know, who cares? You don't delete them, do you? No, okay, I don't. Good, oh, good. goodness, no, 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 no. But then you, you shouldn't care and it doesn't matter. That's it, okay. That, 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 those are my final words in it, okay? Get social media, limit the amount of time you're on it, but ultimately, you shouldn't care and it does not matter. None of it does. It's all, none, of, none, of it, none of it is real. You've confused everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's true. We all have to kind of figure it out and navigate our way into what works for us. Some people make money off of Instagram, so fair oh, enough. Mine, Instagram's made me some good money. I'm not going to... For real. No, in fact, I was approached by a production company because I wasn't on Instagram. No way. Yeah. I remember when yeah, you joined. Yeah. At, oh the my God. at the time, I was the only Radio 1 and 1 Extra DJ who wasn't on Instagram. And I was approached by a production company who were like, why not? And I said, I just don't get it. I don't, why do I have to post pictures of myself? <laughs> and then um, shortly after I did the documentary, I got my first little hashtag spawn job. And I was like, oh. all right, guess some. <laughs> Guess I'm on the grab. Um, yeah, no, yeah, we're in the room. No, we're in the building. It's, it's, a, it's, a, I mean, it's a great little tool. Again, like for, for any money, people want to pay me money to like post stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> I hate that you do sort of need it. I think. It's, yeah, it's, I it's totally. Sort of love-hate relationship, isn't it? I agree. I agree. Right. Okay. You've you've given me so much joy and, and I'm learning so much about you, but also the journey as well. Um, are there any things that, or any moments that you feel have been some of your, your, highlights and have really kind of taught you things in this in this journey for you yeah there's there's loads of there's loads of moments where i've you know really tried to take in what's happening so you just like the odd presenting gigs like presenting at like the royal albert hall or like isla white festival and stuff like that and uh doing the one show those are all the moments that i was like this is amazing like, Aww, this is I love that. so cool that i get to get to do stuff like this but I love that I can do that and then I just go home and then I just go back to my life. Yeah. I really love dipping a toe into this world and then nothing that I do outside of it is even a little bit like it. Like, I don't even like saying this, but, you know, I don't have, like, famous friends, for example. Fair, I don't yeah. hang out at industry spots or go to any of those kind of parties. I don't feel, I don't feel very comfortable. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I do try and... I do try and take in a lot of those, a lot of those moments. It's difficult though. It's a bit like saying to other people, you know, what's your favorite day at the office? <laughs> yeah. Because as much as Tuesday. Yeah. Do you know? Oh, and uh, had an excellent moment by the water cooler with like Karen who works in accounts or something like that. <laughs> no, um, look, I had this the other day when I'd covered the Brits and I was doing some red carpet stuff at the Brits. It is amazing, yeah. but I can't stop to think about that. Yeah. I can't be like, oh my God, I'm on the red carpet at the Brits. I'm about to talk to Ed Sheeran. I can't think like that. I have yeah. to go, this is a job. I'm here to get a good interview. 
I'm not here to schmooze. I'm not here to like make it look like I'm oh. I'm like you know I'm like one of these artists or anything like that. I'm I'm here to do a job. Um, so times like that. If, in fact, me and um me and a friend of mine, uh, Alex, we got a saying for this. We, where you do something really cool and then immediately you're brought back down to earth. But I think those moments are important. Yeah. So one of the, my biggest interviews I've ever had in my life was Will Smith. Ooh. I interviewed Will Smith. We were we had like 10 minutes together and he was incredible. Yeah. He really Will Smithed me. You know, he came into the room. He was like, yo, Dev, how you doing? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Felt like we'd been friends for years, you know? <laughs> and even it started to get to me. I was like, he's probably going to ask for my like email address after this. We're going to be friends. <laughs> we're going to chill out later. Oh, we have to. We're getting on so well. <laughs> And 10 minutes after that interview, I was sat in the Piccadilly line going home, do you know? I'm not like Will Smith. I'm not in his circle. I'm not. Oh, but I man. feel like those moments are so important because yeah. it, it, it keeps you grounded and it reminds you that, yeah, sure, this job has very glamorous elements to it, but, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're still just you, innit? Yeah. You know? <laughs> the Piccadilly line is still yeah. waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. I have no limousine outside. I don't even know Addison <laughs> Lee. <It's> just, oh, <laughs> We'll get you out of Selena. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I love that, man. Dev, you are just such a, a joy to be around. Like, as much as listening to you, just the wisdom you've dropped already has been amazing. But there's something we like to do here in the mainstream, which is the top five tips to make it. So, Dev, please let us know. Top Educate five us. tips to make it. Um, so, I, I, I'll just say things that I've basically been rattling off to my 20-year-old nephew who's at university at the moment. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like put him onto some game. I'm trying to tell him things I wish somebody had told me at that age so he can bypass a lot of the nonsense and just kind of get onto the good stuff. So something I've really been trying to drum into him at the moment is like passion first, the money will come later. The thing is, the most important thing for a young person is to try and figure out what you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. I know you're bombarded with the idea that unless you're a billionaire in the future, you're not going to be happy. It's a lie, okay? Do you think Jeff Bezos is happy? He's not, you know. Oh, Have no. you seen what he's doing recently? He yeah. has to go to the moon in a cowboy hat just to feel anything from life. He's a billionaire. Yeah. He's a billionaire how many times over? Jeff Bezos is not a happy man, okay? Infinite amounts of money is no... A, a guarantee that you are going to be in any way happy. I'm yes. sure he's comfortable. Very. Right? I'm sure he's not worried about his next tax bill or anything like that. I'm talking, is he a happy, fulfilled person? True. Definitely not, right? He has to have a 22-year-old girlfriend Ooh. and go to the moon wearing a cowboy hat to, to feel cool and to feel good about himself, right? So yeah. for, for me, I, was, I think I was very fortunate that I knew what I was passionate about early on. It was music and it was performing, I didn't know how I was going to make money from it, but that, that that's just what I wanted to that's just what I wanted to pursue. I think if you're do it the other way around, if you just want money, go and learn how to do stocks or Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah. Something that's completely that's void of any passion. <laughs> um, but also, don't expect it to make you loads of money. I just think it's oh, yeah. so important. I know I've said it like five times in a row, but I just think it's so important for a young person now. Just try and figure out what you're passionate about and then figure out a way to, um, to find a job that involves that. I would also say my other tip is to try and keep a lot of your friends around you. Nice. So the right friends yeah. as well. So one of the awful things about getting a bit older and outgrowing certain friends are those ones that make you feel... All right, so I got, I got 
two, uh, roughly, we put them into two, two different camps, right? Two different types of friends that I have now at 37 years old. I have these friends. Oh, man, you've changed. <laughs> oh, I've not seen you for ages. Like, whoa, 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 you're too good for man now. Like, oh, I haven't seen you for ages. I'm like, I've changed. What you mean since I was 14 years old? Yes, yeah. yes, I've changed a little bit. But then I've got these friends as well that I don't see for ages where they like, they just get it. Yeah. Yeah, life's involved, isn't it? Like, you, yeah. You're doing life and it's not nothing personal. And, you know, I've also had those friends around me that they don't really support my ideas. They think, I don't know, like I've had this before where you have people around you who don't have huge aspirations. Mm. So some of your aspirations make them feel maybe a little bit inadequate about their own. Yeah, definitely. And that maybe in their minds they've been taught to believe that they're never going to achieve much more than they already have. So I hate this. I hate the idea of, oh, I, I, I don't make any new friends. Oh, I don't have no new friends. It's like, no, I think it's important to keep making friends throughout your life <laughs> and yeah, connections. I also don't believe on just having friendships based off of what people can do for you. But when I say, like, keep your friends, what I mean is keep those people around you who are going to keep you grounded. Mm. They're going to, like, you know, they're going to they're gonna tell you how it is. There's some things that I see appear online or... You know, certain things unfold where I'm like, where are your friends to tell you that this wasn't oh, a good idea? Oh, my gosh, that's real. You know? That's so real. Certain, you know, even just some outfits that you see some people wearing <laughs> out and about sometimes. You're like, why isn't your tell friend your said, friend. Mm. I'm telling you this as a friend, don't wear this. You look <laughs> you look ridiculous right now. Um, I would also say, it's a really big one, is to stay humble. Mm. I, I don't want to sound like so old right now, but... For me, humility and being humble was very, very important yeah. when I was when I was coming up. And I feel like a lot of young people now, they confuse confidence and arrogance. Oof. There's nothing wrong with being confident. Yep, Absolutely not. I want you to be as confident as as you can. But please don't be arrogant. You know, and I I, I, I basically say this to my nephew all the time. I lo look, confidence is great, but you haven't done anything. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you, you have actually to let haven't know. done. You actually haven't haven't done anything. So, um, you know, just, yeah, just 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 wait till you've. In fact, no, the arrogance doesn't come later. Never have the arrogance. Yeah, it's true. Um, but just you know, just 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 be humble. Again, just because I interview whatever Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson, I'm not on their level. Yeah, so it's not changed <laughs> my status in any way. Yeah, you know, again, I still leave the building and get on the tube and go home. Like I'm not, I'm not anyone. Um. I also think it's very important to be able to check yourself. And when I say that, I mean, are you pursuing your goals for the right reason? Are you in it for the right reasons? I've turned down a lot of jobs because I didn't feel like it was right for me or that it was necessarily going to give off the right message. So in particular, there's a lot of documentaries that I get offered where I'm like, I don't want to do that because I don't feel like I have a personal attachment to it. So yeah. You know, some of the ones off the top of my head, it was like, oh, Dev, do you want to do a documentary on dangerous dogs or something like that in the UK? Or yeah. do you want to do a documentary on Romanian orphans or something like that? And I'm like, look, those are all serious issues. Yeah. I just don't know that I'm the best person to front this. I don't have a personal connection yeah. to Romanian orphans or dangerous dogs. So, you know, sometimes you can be led to believe, well, you know, you can use this as a vehicle mm -hmm. to lead on to other things. Personally, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't really want to do that. So I think it's important to be able to reassess where you're at. Am I doing this for the right reasons? You know, uh, 
Am I just thinking about the money? And don't get me wrong, okay? <laughs> them jobs will come and you should probably take some of those, right? <laughs> get the money, honey. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because, <laughs> you know, this isn't going to last forever. For yeah. all I know, Instagram will be over next week. And, mm. You know, we don't make any money from that anymore. Um, but no, I think it is important to, like, stay as grounded and stay as humble as possible because... Man, arrogance does not scan very well in this industry. So it's a small one. And if you get a bit of a name or a bit of a reputation for yourself, it's not going to serve you very well in the future. I don't think. Wow, Dev. Wow. You have schooled us in the most incredible way. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for joining us on the mainstream. And yeah, let them know about your show, Heart FM. Let them know how they can listen to you, how they can follow you, all that good stuff. So you can check me out on her Monday to Thursday from 7pm. I get all the biggest guests on my show. Just interviewed Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Garner, Ryan Reynolds. And I'm also on Saturday on Heart from uh, 12 till 4 o'clock. Thanks for having me, actually. This was good fun. Oh, thank you as well. I've loved it. And thank you, everyone, for listening to The Mainstream. pa na na I like that you did your own dancing siren. Have to, have to. Thank you for listening to the Mainstream Podcast with me, Ramel London. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review on Apple and Spotify and follow us at The Mainstream UK and at Ramel underscore London.